This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Well, about a year ago, we got a puppy. His name is Murdoch, and he is a good dog. He's growing up, and uh, he looks like an adult dog, but he's still very much a puppy. He's full of energy, he's rambunctious, and I sometimes forget the difference because I just assume because his body is maturing that, it, you know, all of him is maturing. But no, no, he's still just a rowdy little puppy. Uh, he, he loves us an awful lot. And uh, there, there are some quirks about Murdoch. Uh, he, he's a very clingy kind of dog. He needs affirmation all the time. So uh, when, he, when he sits next to us on the couch, he'll just lean so that he's touching us. He'll, he'll come up to get, it, to get a scratch and pet his head. And then he likes to have his, uh, his back scratch, his lower back scratch, we'll say. And so he'll, he'll approach us in reverse so that we'll scratch the right spot. It's, it's a funny thing to see a dog coming at you in reverse. Deep, 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 deep. He loves it. He's a little bit of a chicken. So sometimes when he meets new people, he, he, gets, he gets a little scared, and he has, to, he, has to, he has to be with us to get that affirmation. He, just, he keeps getting closer and keeps getting closer. Now, there, there's a unique thing between a, a family and a dog, a love that's shared. And, and in many ways, we agree about the way that love is, is shared. We're, we're together. We enjoy time together. We agree on that. We, we care for him, and he looks out for us. We provide food. We make sure he has everything he needs, and he feels loved. And he feels responsible to, to protect us. And when he hears noises, he's not sure about. He lets us know. He loves us. But then there are areas uh, that we disagree about the way that love should be expressed. When he feels like he's not getting enough attention, he does naughty things to get attention. Have you had a dog do that? Or a child? Sometimes children do that too. But when, when he feels a little left out, he will go into the kitchen and get the rag off the sink and walk into the living room and look at us with this rag hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> Come get me. <laughs> that's, that's what I imagine is going through his mind. He's just got those excited eyes and a rag hanging out of his mouth. He's not, not necessarily chewing it up. He's just standing there waiting for us to chase him to get that out of his mouth and scold him. He knows there's a scolding coming, but he just, he desires that attention so much he's willing to have negative attention. If we're working at the table, he'll come up Wait for us to look away, and he'll grab one piece of paper and walk away <laughs> with paper in his mouth. He's not ripping it to shreds normally. Occasionally he does. He's just standing there with paper in his mouth, waiting for us to come get him over and over and over again. He does this. And it, for him, is this moment of love because I am coming to get him, and he, he feels that connection. I don't feel the same way about that moment. I want for him to show his love to me through obedience. Wouldn't that be great? A puppy that just sat, ready to listen to what you had to say, who when you gave it a, a, a command would go and do and would come back and get a treat and, and would know the love you feel, the affirmation of saying, good boy. It doesn't matter what a dog's doing. You say, good boy. They, really, yeah. If our relationship could begin on that positive note and then progress 
Think about all the, all the things that we could teach, all, the, all the, the healthy ways we could interact, instead of beginning with a scolding when he feels that lack of attention, how it changes our relationship because he's expecting that negative attention. I have to deliver on that negative attention so that we're not reinforcing that behavior so that he knows that's wrong and hopefully we'll grow out of it when he's no longer still a puppy on the inside. If we could begin that process with obedience, think about how great that, that sharing of love would be. Now, we're, we're going to step back into 1 John. We've talked about light. Now we're talking about love. And, and as we read, beginning in chapter 2, verse 3, I, I just want to recognize how similar the advice John gives to believers is to that same kind of relationship that I have with my dog. Not to, not to diminish our relationship with God in any way, but think about, think about how similar these words are as we begin reading in verse 3. Here's what John says. We know that we have come to know him, to know God, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, last week, we, we listened to this description of light and dark. Darkness being that slow, stumbling walk. We were nervous about encountering danger, about injuring ourselves. And so we're, the progress is slow. We're very careful. We can't see clearly. The light that John talked about represents clarity of truth, seeing danger, avoiding temptation, following the path God has laid out for us, and, and becoming his light in the world, allowing that light to shine through us, to reflect his glory. John was writing these letters to believers, remember, in response to two pressures they were facing in the world. One was persecution. The second was false teaching. These uh, camps of, of thought that were drawing believers away from the church, drawing them away from their faith to, to wrap them up in, in this twisting of truth that, that was not an accurate reflection of, of God. One of, the, one of the ways that the truth was being twisted was in the experience people were having with God. There was a, a camp of Gnostics who were, who were dedicated to the knowledge of God and separating knowledge of God from life, from decisions, from behavior. And, and that's a, why a lot of this discussion about right and wrong is happening in, in, the, in the first chapters of this, this letter, that John was, was reiterating the importance of, of a whole experience with the Lord and not separating our knowledge of God from our behavior, not saying it's okay to sin because it has no bearing on your, on your intellectual relationship with God. And so his, his response to the believers was that if you, if you truly know God, your life will be changed. It'll make an impact more than just on what you know. And we have a, we have a similar kind of, of difficulty in terms of our faith where we, we hear things that 
make us want to believe a, a twisting of truth. Sometimes we experience things that, that captivate our attention. Sometimes we, we, we approach God with the same kind of intellectual exercise, or we study the Word of God, and we, we're enlightened. We, we read something that, that rings in our hearts, and, and we want to chase after this knowledge even more, and we grow in our understanding of God, and we feel close to Him. And, and, and sometimes there's this validation of being in a Bible study with other people and having the right answer, and people looking at us like we're very spiritual, like we, we, we have this, this deep understanding of God's Word, and so we strive for that to grow, to, to even correct people and prove them wrong. We are a depth of knowledge of the Word of God, and we focus our attention on this pursuit to the exclusion of others, chasing an intellectual experience. Sometimes we chase after an emotional experience. We, we feel God. We feel the Spirit moving, and, and it's such a, a moving moment in our lives that we begin pursuing that moment again and again, going to a, a Christian concert, going to a worship experience, going to a conference, looking for this large environment, looking for this moment when we could get those tinglys that, that we feel God moving, His Spirit at work, and we begin to, to pursue a relationship with God based off of our emotions based off of those feelings. Sometimes we have a transactional relationship with God. We get wrapped up in, in the battle with temptation and sin. And we come to God burdened, heavy, and we, we lay those things at his feet and we experience forgiveness and the freedom that comes from that. And we're so glad for that moment. It's, it, 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 it's so moving and and life-altering, and we walk away from that moment, and we know we should be changed, and yet we're still mired in that struggle and weighed down with guilt, and we know we have to come back before the Lord, and we, we seek his forgiveness, and we feel the relief of that forgiveness again, and we get trapped in this cycle of, of sin and forgiveness, and our relationship with God is defined by our battle with sin. And we don't spend time studying his word. We don't spend time worshiping because we're so wrapped up in this thought of guilt and, and forgiveness. Sometimes we, we feel closer to God if we've been victorious, we've been successful, and we think, God, here's what I'm doing for you. Here's, here's my faithfulness. Isn't it great? I feel close to you. But then when, when sin takes hold of us again, we feel far away because we're so focused on that transactional relationship. It's, it's the means by which we define our love for God. John calls us to expand our definition of a relationship with the Lord, to, to include all of these aspects together, to devote all of who we are to the Lord, but to begin that relationship with obedience, to come to a place where our love for God is expressed through our obedience. And then from that place of connection, from that place of faithfulness, we then allow the Lord to work in us and grow us and move us where he wants us to go, not wrapped up chasing Information, not wrapped up chasing an emotional experience, not wrapped up struggling with the process of sin, but, but devoting ourselves to God in faithfulness, obedient to his will and to his way, so that he can do his work in us, so that he can push us where he needs us to go and build us the way he needs us to grow. It's that obedience that leads us to a genuine, sincere life modeled through, modeled after the example of Jesus. Jesus who lived his life for us. And we see in Christ an image of what our lives should look like. We see in him 
the, the perfect image of faithfulness. That he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. He faced every temptation that we might face and provided for us an example of how to successfully navigate that temptation. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he answered that temptation with scripture and didn't allow that, that pull, that draw, that desire to change his decision, to change his direction, but he was dedicated to his faithfulness to God. We see in Jesus, second, an attitude of humble submission that we need to imitate. In Philippians, we read about the, the attitude of Jesus who humbled himself and stepped away from the glory of heaven to wrap himself in flesh and put his feet in creation, to live a perfect life and, and to humbly submit to the cross, laying his life down for us. That is the humility, the attitude of Jesus we need to reflect. Third, we see in Jesus the decision to go where God will lead, even, even when we don't want, even when it's difficult, even when it, it means pain and suffering. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he was preparing for the cross, he prayed to the Lord, knowing, acknowledging the dread he was feeling, the, the torture he would experience. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted to God's will, knowing that it would mean pain, knowing that it would mean difficulty and discomfort. He went where God was leading him. When we emulate the example of Jesus, we strive for faithfulness. We choose an attitude of humble submission to the will of God. And we make a decision to go where he leads us, no matter what it means for our lives, that we're willing to go. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's even painful. But we choose to follow where God's leading us. John's explanation of obedience included command that needed to be obeyed. He said, here's a command I'm going to give you. It's an old command and it's a new command. You've heard it before. Let me, let me reiterate this and, and also address it in a way maybe that you haven't expected to hear. Jesus did the same thing when an expert in the law came to him and asked him about about what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the Ten Commandments. So you think about all the Old Testament law, it hangs on these two statements. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that man said, well, who's my neighbor? You say I have to love my neighbor. Who exactly are you talking about? And Jesus told him a story of a, of a Jewish man who was traveling, was beaten and robbed, laying beside the road, wondering who would help him in his despair. And he watched a religious leader walk by. He watched a man who was dedicated to the law walk by, ignoring him, not willing to stop and impede their day. Who was it that stopped to help him? A Samaritan from a neighboring country, someone who was a rival, someone he wouldn't have deemed worthy to even talk to if he saw him in public, stopped to help him, paid for a place for him to stay, paid for someone to care for his wounds. And Jesus said, that's what a neighbor looks like. Now John comes back to that, that thought process, this command to love. It's an old command. You know it to be true, but it's new to you today. And John started to close that circle. Instead of saying, think about people who share your borders. Instead of thinking about people that are hard to love because they're rivals, maybe in another state, maybe in another city, maybe people you, you encounter from other places. Let's close that circle in and think about people that you rub shoulders with every day. People that in the process of rubbing shoulders, you're starting to get irritated. People that you, you see at work each and every day. People that 
in the grocery store kind of cut in front of you and, and push you out of the way because they want to see what you're looking at. People who at the gym will, will kind of stand and impose their presence so that you'll get out of the way so they can do what they want to do. People who are in your family. Have you noticed how hard it is to love the people that are closest to you? Not because you don't want to love them, but because as you get closer and closer, you have to deal with all those frustrations that don't go away. They're ever-present. And yet John says to us, when we think about what it is to love, not only do we think about neighbors, those who share the fence behind us, we need to think about the people who are closer in that circle, the people that we would call brothers and sisters, and we need to love them. It might even be more important for us to love them perfectly the way God loves us. To overcome our natural responses to those people that we encounter on a daily basis. To overcome the same kind of responses they get from other people. And instead, show them love. What are those natural responses we have to people? What are are the kinds of ways that we respond to people that we see all the time? Sometimes we're indifferent. We walk past people. Every day. And that's all they experience from us. A person passing by. We have, we have no regard for their situation, their pain, their difficulty, their salvation. It has no bearing on us whatsoever. And we walk by and continue on with our day as if they weren't even there. Sometimes. The natural response we have for other people is contempt. We look at other people and we think, less of them. We have a conversation and we consider them ignorant because of all the things that we know. We interact with them. We think of them inept because of the skill set that we have. And we raise ourselves in our own eyes and lower them in our eyes. And we, we, we respond to them as if they are incapable or unworthy. Sometimes we respond to the people that we interact with with frustration. Like they're a burden. Because we're so busy, we don't have time to, to deal with the difficulty of their lives. Sometimes we respond to people as if they're a threat. And all the common ground that we share that should be building us together in friendship instead is a reason to be paranoid. We share a mutual friend, and instead of thinking about how we can spend time and get to know them, we're we're thinking about how they have spent time together without us, and maybe they're getting closer than we are, and they're taking a friend away, and maybe there's a coworker that you have that you really could be good friends with, but they might threaten your next promotion or raise and their numbers look better than your numbers and suddenly you have this this competitive spirit rising up in you to tear them down so that they're not hindering you from the things that you want to accomplish and what you see in them is an enemy. John calls us to think about other people as brothers and sisters, to think about their needs as our needs, their interests as our interests, and to choose a difficult path of love to set those natural tendencies aside, to set our reactions and responses, our our automatic instinctual things, to, to, to purposefully set them aside and instead replace them with a demonstration of love. Not just caring for people and meeting their needs, but caring about them, taking the time to step into their lives, to, to, to make those connections, to get through that awkward moment so that we can demonstrate love to them in a meaningful way. 
That's not an easy thing to do. But that's what we're called to do. Now let's close that circle even tighter. When John talks about brothers and sisters, this is clear language that he's talking about believers together as part of the church. When there's conflict in the church, it does devastating things. It destroys our unity. It destroys the spirit of love and excitement and joy that we have. It, it holds us back from what we could accomplish for the kingdom. It holds us back from, from progress, from, from evangelism, from, from meeting the needs of others because we're so wrapped up in the, in the turmoil that we're facing. When there's conflict in the church, it, it drives us to focus on our selfish desires instead of what's best for the kingdom of God. When we think about these responses we have toward people that we interact with on a daily basis, they become even more devastating when, when, when they apply to the people who are sitting in the row in front of us or behind us or the people that are sitting across the room from us. That as we lift our voices to praise God together, we look across the room and we feel anger. We feel resentment. We feel indifferent. We feel threatened. How devastating that is to the, to the church when, when the parts of the body are working in opposition to each other. A house divided against itself will, will fall. And it's heartbreaking when Christians harbor a grudge to the detriment of a brother or sister sitting across the room and are unwilling to allow the love of God to apply within the walls of the church. But that's what we're called to do. To let love be the unifying force that identifies us as his. To let love be the mark that's seen in our lives and seen in our relationships. That we would, that we would have such a bond amongst us that when we walk away from this place on a Sunday morning, the waiters and waitresses wouldn't say, oh great, here comes the, the church crowd for lunch on Sunday. They argue, they're rude, they don't tip. That they would see us coming and say, hey, there's our friends coming. We get to see them every Sunday for lunch. And that through our joy, through our love that we share, we would allow that to, to spill out into our interactions with them. That they would see in us such a, such a, a family coming from this place to eat together. That they would feel like that they're coming over for, for Thanksgiving dinner, that they belong at our table, that they're welcome amongst family, and that love would be shared in the world around us because we genuinely care about each other. And the love of God that's seen in those relationships will shine in the world around us. Love is the mark. It's the key. And it's what helps us to grow in the Lord. It's what keeps us from stymieing out as a body of believers and hindering our spiritual growth because we're harboring unforgiveness. John continued to talk about love. Our love for God, our response to the things around us in, in chapter 2, beginning verse 15. Here's what he said. Don't love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, John's continuing to talk about aspects of our love. First, we, we, we think about our love expressed to God in obedience. We follow after him and, and let his love define us. Second, we allow his love to carry us. And when we live in love, we're no longer driven by desire. And he lists three very specific desires, the lust of the flesh, the carnal things, the hunger that tempts us to overindulge in food, to, to lose self-control, to chase after instant gratification and desire. There's the lust of the eyes, the desire to have what we don't have, to, to see someone else with something new and shiny and to say, well, I don't even want what I've got anymore. I have to have that. And we, we strive to, to gain and to acquire. We're filled with greed, dissatisfied because of what we've seen. There's the pride of life, pride that fills us, a pride that causes us to want to be celebrated, to be respected, to be thanked. Have you ever, have you ever felt that drive to be the one to solve a problem so everybody will say, hey, Thank you. you. You're great. I, I can't believe how you did that. I have no idea what you did. And, and, and not only that drives us to, to want to be the one to be the hero of the day, but also to maybe embellish, to, to inflate our, our, our abilities so that people will be in awe of us, so people will celebrate who we are and hold us up. There's this pride of life that, that calls us, tempting us to have the affirmation of, respect of others. These desires of the world stand in opposition to our relationship with God. They don't, they don't peacefully coexist because those desires will become our focus. And, and John says, when we chase after those desires, what we find is dissatisfaction. We cannot be sustained pursuing these desires. We will always want more. But when we pursue God, when we live for his love, when we allow his love to carry us through we will find in him a satisfaction that never dims because it's tied to an eternal love that never fails. And we don't have to keep pursuing momentary pleasure again and again and again that fades away and passes away because it's tied to things of this world because we're sustained by the eternal love of God. We find a fullness of life, a satisfaction, fulfillment that can be found nowhere else in this world. Verse 11 of chapter 3, John continues talking about this expression of love in our lives. Here's what he says. This, this message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. As John was describing what love looks like, as is his way with light and darkness, he has to show us 
the, the danger of the, that opposing force. Where there is love, there also will be hate. The example he gave with Cain and Abel. Cain took his brother's life. Why? Because he saw in Abel righteousness. He saw in his brother a connection with God that he didn't have. And jealousy, anger, hate drove him to take his brother's life. And John calls us to think about that place where we look at another person and we allow those emotions to drive us, where we're, we're driven by destruction. And certainly we're not thinking about murder, but, but think about all the ways we tear a person down when we allow hate to drive us, when, when we allow that, that emotion to destroy our relationship with that person. When we think about with some sort of pleasure what it would look like for that person to come to ruin, for their reputation to be destroyed, for the success that they enjoy to be shattered. And, and inside of us, those emotions drive us to take pleasure in their pain because we see in them something that we're jealous of, that we want. And hate drives us in those moments. It's a hostile response. John says, it's common where there's love. You see, you see some righteousness, something that you desire, and it causes hate. Overcome that in your hearts. Love people instead of hating them. But there's another thing you need to be aware of, that as you live your life in the Lord, as you devote yourself to righteousness, as you devote yourself to the moral standards that have been provided to you by God, Creator, know that the world, when they see you living for Him, they're going to see that righteousness and they're going to respond like Cain did. They're going to hate you because of the things you're doing that they don't understand. And don't be surprised as you're living your life, as you're standing for the moral boundaries you find in God's word, that the response you get from the world will be hostile. That in their uncertainty, in their confusion, in their misunderstanding of who you are and what you're doing, they'll begin to tear you down. That's what we see in the world today as there are battles over what is right and wrong, as morality has become subjective and every person can declare for themselves what is right and what is wrong, when we take a stand for truth, when we take a stand for the moral boundaries of God's word, what we see in the world around us is a hostile reaction telling us that if we don't celebrate every person for every decision they make, that we are driven by hate. And that love means affirming and accepting every possible decision and action of a person's life. Love doesn't allow people to cause pain and difficulty. Love doesn't allow people to remain apart from God. Love drives us to communicate the truth, to demonstrate to the world the love of God. Not a love that we simply say, God loves you, God wants to forgive your sin, but a love that we communicate in action and in truth. A love that requires sacrifice to demonstrate to the world, not that we want to declare principles, but that we want to demonstrate love, that we want to care about people and we care for them so that they will begin to understand their need for the Lord, their need to step into his love, the need to find forgiveness in him. But in order for us to demonstrate 
to people that we care about them. In order for us to be able to have the right to speak into their lives, first we have to show them that we care. First we have to demonstrate the fullness of the love of God by sacrificing for them, by giving up our time to build connections with them, to give up some of our resources, to show them that their needs mean something to us and that their way of life means something to us, that we would give from what we have to show them the depth of the love of God expressed through us. And, and, and through that process, help them understand how much God loves them. That's how God demonstrates his love, through sacrifice. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. For God so loved me. That he made a very difficult decision to sacrifice his son, to send his son away from the glory of heaven, to send his son to walk the earth, to live a perfect life, and, and to lay that life down in sacrifice on the cross. For God so loved us that he gave up what was most precious to him and allowed his son to die. That may be one of the most difficult demonstrations of love. a demonstration of sacrifice to bring about our forgiveness. To overcome all of the wrong that we've ever done by the blood of Christ, God was willing not to stand on the terms of punishment. God was willing not to, not to vent his wrath on creation. God was willing to forgive even when it meant he had to sacrifice. And we look at the, the example that God provides to us of, of love expressed. And we see in him one of the hardest things for us to do when we express love to other people, to forgive, to look at people who have caused us pain, to look at people who have betrayed us, to look at people that we know are constantly talking behind our backs and, and to tell them, how much we love them, to tell them that we're willing to set those things aside, to put them in the past and to walk away from them, that we're willing to forgive every hurt and every pain because they matter that much to God, that we're willing to act on the love that God has for them, that we're willing to sacrifice our want for revenge, our want to make things even, our want to, to see them suffer. We're willing to sacrifice all those things so that we can love them, so that we can forgive them and help them understand how God's love is expressed in their lives. John continues his description, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how God is made complete, how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no love and there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I love is a part of our world. We see it every day. We recognize what it is. But do we truly understand the depth, the measure, the width of God's love? Do we truly understand sacrifices he's made for us? And when, you, when you talk to a, a young married couple and you, and you ask them about how they, how they got to know each other, the, the conversation is always interesting. Sometimes there's, there's an argument between a young couple about, about who asked who out, about who was willing to step in that uncomfortable gap, who was willing to risk humiliation to say, I, I'm starting to like you. I, I really want to date you. Would you, would you go out with me? Who, who's willing to, to, to be that awkward and, and, and to extend themselves? Who was the first one to say, I love you? to risk the, the hurt of not hearing those words back. Which one, which one was brave? Which one was daring? It's always an interesting conversation. When we think about our relationship with God, there's no question about who was willing to risk. There's no, there's no discussion about the way love is expressed. God, God doesn't forgive us because we're, we love him enough to find forgiveness. God doesn't care about us because of the fact that we're willing to reach out to him. God demonstrates love to us. Before we ever knew that he was there, he loved the world enough to send his son. In fact, in Romans, Paul says that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Before we even thought to reach out to God and ask for forgiveness, God sent his son to die, to demonstrate his love for us. God stepped into the gap. God chose to risk himself, to demonstrate his love to a world that many of whom would not respond in love, who would reject his gift, who would turn their backs on him. God chose to love us and give us the option he chose to love us on, on the slight possibility that we might recognize his action, recognize his sacrifice and respond and accept it and begin to love him back. That's how much God loves us. It's a perfect love. A perfect love that casts out fear. And that's what we find in our relationship with God. A relationship where there is no fear. Because God has been willing to remove that source of fear. Fear comes when we view God as a judge. 
Fear comes when we know about our sin and when we approach God and expect punishment. Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that when we approach God, what we find instead of wrath is grace. That as we approach God and he says, I love you, we see the demonstration of that love in forgiveness. And as we approach God, what we find is the unloving embrace of a father instead of the cruel punishment of a judge who's ready to vent his wrath. In him, we find forgiveness and grace. In him, we find love expressed through sacrifice. And it's a demonstration of what the love we have for one another should look like. This morning, as we conclude our sermon, I want to invite you to think about the love of God that's been expressed to you. The forgiveness that's available that draws you in without fear to a God who wants to forgive you, who wants to care about you, who's willing to love you even though it means his own sacrifice. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to think about accepting the love of God through the blood of Jesus today. If you're a believer, I want to I challenge you to think about how your life should be impacted by this example of love we have in God. And I want to challenge you today to think about someone in your life that needs to experience forgiveness from you. Maybe they don't even know it. Maybe there's a person in your life that you, you have been viewing with one of these instinctive reactions that you've been ignoring. You're completely indifferent and you honestly could care less if they even are here in the room. Maybe you've been looking down on someone with contempt, thinking about them, that they're totally inept, totally ignorant, and you've been tearing them down in your mind over and over again. Maybe you're feeling hostile. Maybe you're angry. Maybe there's a wrong that stands between you and another person. And instead of forgiving it, you've been harboring that grudge. You've been carrying it with you for so long. And it's weighing you down. It's keeping you from growing in the Lord because it is what you're thinking about all the time. I want to I challenge you today to sacrifice. To sacrifice your dignity. To sacrifice your comfort and take a step toward that other person. Get out your phone and send a text. Make a call. Go knock on a door and stand face to face. And allow the love of God to, to mend that bridge. Allow the love of God to, to smooth that conflict. Allow the love of God to be seen in you as you, as you take a difficult step forward. And extend grace. And allow God's light to shine through your life. Allow God's love to be evident. Let me pray for you. God, we, we thank you for the message that you bring to us through your word, even when that message is difficult to hear. God, we thank you for the challenge that you present in our lives. 
Lord, I pray that you also would give us the strength to respond to that challenge, that you would also give us the, the, the courage to take hold of your love in a way that, that will make a difference in the lives of people, that they would see in us not just a group of people who are willing to be benevolent, they're willing to, to care for some of their needs, but they would see in us a, a people who genuinely care about them, that want to live life next to them, that want to grow together with them because we see in them a person that you love so much. And we're willing to sacrifice our time and our energy to be that love in their lives. God, move us today. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.